yeah, it's 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 tricky. I suppose the picture you have of yourself in the future is going to be so specific to the individual. Um, and one of the great things about a PhD is it does give you a little bit of time to kind of figure that out. And I would say is maybe this takes us full circle to the mentorship again. Maybe you might say, I'd love to be a research officer. Have you ever talked to a research officer? What do they like about their job? What do they not like about their job? What does their job actually involve versus what you think it involves? Because often they don't really match up. Similarly with industry, you know, I always think it's really good when universities or colleges have career days for their undergrads and they'll bring in, you know, other universities looking for postdocs or looking for PhD students rather. They'll bring in people from private industry, people from government roles, and they'll all have their stands and they'll say, well, here's what our jobs we have and what they involve and what they pay and where you'll go. And in my experience, we don't do that for PhD students. You know, we don't really give them that same guidance. And maybe we need to, maybe that's something that would be very helpful. And it's important to say, well, you know, research has a lot of opportunities and here they are. And maybe we also need to invite industry and because industry wants PhD students too, or PhD graduates too. Welcome to this new episode of Papa PhD. Today, I have the great pleasure of having with me Sarah Vero, who is hailing from Ireland, and with whom I'm going to talk about a demographic that I seldom cover, or I have seldom covered on Papa PhD, postdocs. During our conversation, Sarah and I will talk about her book, Fieldwork Ready, and we'll be talking about how the principles of field readiness apply to finding your postdoc, but also to finding your next job. Welcome to Papa PhD, Sarah. Well, thanks very much, and thanks for having me. And I think it's really important, even when you're at your PhD stage, to think a little bit about the postdoc stage, or maybe if it's not postdoc, certainly the post-PhD stage, because it's the next big frontier. And at least my experience was I was so focused on doing the PhD that it was almost like falling through a door. You know, if you're pushing on a door and suddenly it opens and you're on the other side and you kind of stumble because I hadn't really thought about what was going to happen next yes. and how I was going to manage that. So I do think it's important, at least in the months leading up to the end of your PhD, to start mm -hmm. thinking, mm, how do I arrange my life once this is over? Because it will end, even if you don't think so at the time. Exactly. Once you, especially in that first year, for it's like a life. It's a lifetime. You think it's going to be a, a yeah. something that that never ends, but it does end. And it's interesting because I'm preparing. I'm I'm pre preparing a, pre a keynote presentation, but also to maybe write something. And that's exactly one of the things I want to focus on, which is yes, there's, it's going to be kind of a, a, a bubble. You're going to be in this safe space in in, in different aspects for this um, much amount of time. But outside of that bubble, time goes on. And there's yeah. there's someone waiting for you to have a conversation later on that, for you to come out of the PhD and then say, okay, now, you know, how are you going to contribute to my team, to my project, to my company, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. It's really easy to, because when you're doing the PhD, you kind of, you eat, sleep and drink the PhD, or at least a lot yes. of people do, particularly towards the end months. And yes. not only <laughs> myself, but a lot of people I've talked to really aren't quite prepared either um, how their life is arranged or even prepared psychologically for mm -hmm. that, the next step, what happens next. So I yeah. do think, you know, it, it's really great to give it the time that it's due. It's just as big a consideration as taking on the PhD to begin with. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I, I agree with you totally. I really want to, you know, uh, want to share what you have to share uh, with the Papa PhD audience. But we've kind of started the conversation kind of naturally, which is fine and great. I will still want to kind of let people know who you are. Sure. Sarah is a lecturer and researcher in soil and agricultural science. I have learned from your other videos and if it's not to say dirt it's not dirt <laughs> no no not it's only dirt in the wrong place and there's very few wrong places we can always do with soil in the right place <laughs> there you go uh, many areas of study involve outdoor experiments which bring unique challenges but often training is focused on laboratory approaches only Sarah's goal is to help students and early career researchers develop skills that will make them successful in the field and take away the anxiety that many feel around fieldwork. Her book, Fieldwork Ready, covers logistics, safety, experimental design, and essential techniques for field research, and she runs online and in-person workshops and consultations. Many of the skills and approaches learned during field research are transferable to career development, particularly for postdocs and early career researchers. So this is why you're here today on Papa PhD, Sarah, and welcome. That's right. Thanks very much. I think I think for me at least the the parallel um between preparing for uh uh what's the term um anyway for a field uh I want to say expedition I don't that's not the term. <laughs> well in some cases it is an expedition. Um mm. field work is quite broad like it can be everything from a trial which is like saying a crop growing trial which mm. is very similar to the sort of controlled experiments you might do in the laboratory to kind of investigative expeditions as you said where you're going out to an area to either map it or investigate some sort of Mm -hmm. a feature and that's much more loose and and sort of flexible it's it's less controlled and fieldwork really is trying to make the outdoors a little bit more controlled a little Mm -hmm. bit more like the lab so that we can study it in a meaningful way in a way that we can apply statistics to as you can Mm -hmm. imagine that's quite challenging (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> well, it, it is, and I've known people who've been working, and I don't know the term in in English, uh, who've like being uh, been um, uh, sampling. Uh, oh yeah, cool. Muddy. Anyway, they they have these super long boot, like rubber boots that come up to their chest, and sure, like, the waders. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I know exactly what you mean to you know be in the in the muck, but still have like. Uh, liquid nitrogen and and tubes and uh, the, you know scales this and that I, I I totally understand and I'm super eager to to go into how how the process of preparing for an expedition like that translates to the the, the adventure which is professional life. But before going there, I really want to focus on you on your profile. You know, I I, we, I kind of joked joked about dirt and soil with you in the beginning. Um, you, you know, you work with soil. Uh, you, you, so you, I'm sure you've been in these types of difficult, uh, environments trying to make science happen. Um, but the question I have for you is, uh, how did you get to this concept of, of field readiness and, uh, and, and how did the, the book idea come up? And, uh, you know, what, what's, what's your mission that you've taken on to help people through this concept of field readiness? Sure. Thanks very much. Well, I was not from an agricultural background. I grew up in Dublin, um, but I was always really passionate about agriculture. I thought it was really exciting. It's quite outdoorsy as a kid. You know, I was out playing in, in the soil and in the trees and the garden. Like I just 
the outdoors was where it was at for me always. Mm-hmm. And I studied agricultural science at college and I was fortunate enough to get a master's and then a PhD opportunity with our, our national agricultural research agency. And part of that PhD, well, the master's was looking at soil compaction, which is degradation under vehicles or under livestock. Mm-hmm. But the PhD was looking at the movement of nitrate and contaminants through the okay. subsurface. So this, of course, had some lab work and, and some uh, quite extensive computer modeling. But the most important part of it, and the most exciting part of it, was the outdoor field research where I was applying tracers to the soil and watching their movement through the earth, seeing where they cropped up in the water. I was taking soil samples back to the laboratory for analysis. I was setting up sensor arrays for monitoring the soil water. And after the PhD, I went on to do a postdoc uh, mm-hmm. in Can- at Kansas State University looking at prairie mm-hmm. hydrology before coming back to Ireland. And when I came back, shifted gears a little bit. I was looking more at water quality, but again, very field-based. It was river sampling, designing river monitoring campaigns, things like that. And so the, kind of the through line of all of these was an aw- awful lot of outdoor work. Mm-hmm. And in my experience, you can get somebody to teach you the scientific technique and you can learn the scientific principles from a paper or from uh, a manual or a, or a textbook. But that's not what made fieldwork successful. Not only did I have my own fieldwork to draw on, but everyone around me did fieldwork. So you're kind of exposed to it an awful lot in my, in my discipline. And what I saw was that the projects that were most successful, they weren't scientifically better they were logistically better than the projects that were unsuccessful or the projects that ran into challenges. Really, the research lived and died, not on the science, but on the logistics. And I figured that if you were better prepared for the technical side of things, you could better do your scientific work. Mm -hmm. People get bogged down in, you know, problems with vehicles, problems in sample management, poor design of project, poor management of their team. Mm -hmm. Uh, so it was really, I was, I, it was actually, I was at home, I was always saying, you know, I really wish someone should write a book on this. Someone should explain <laughs> the logistics side. And my, one of my sisters said, well, you should just do it. And I was kind of like hemming and hawing, but she was right. And, you know, a, a lot of information is there, but if people would just have, you know, I suppose, make the effort to write it down because that way you can pass it on. So that's mm-hmm. where Fieldwork Ready, the book came from. Excellent. And uh, so you, you did mention before that, like all of us, like me, for example, you kind of thought about post-PhD uh, life at the end of the PhD. And, yeah. and you didn't think about all those logistics uh, beforehand, or at least at, at, the, at the beginning, where, you know, there's so much happening. You're getting, you know, you're learning this new culture. You're kind of enchanted with the whole thing also. Um, now... If we consider that that you know get, getting a, a postdoc position is an expedition per se because <laughs> you're going to have to be organized, you're going to have to uh, to reach out to different resources and well people who want to hire you, of course. But you know you're, you're going to have you're going to have to put your ducks in a row to to get into the the, the position you want. But you're going to have to also explore different terrains and 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 find okay does this one work for me does it not you know uh, can you talk a little bit about your experience navigating that and then can can we maybe uh, try and determine a parallel between that the process uh, that you went through and maybe 
the ideal process based on this idea, this idea of getting ready beforehand? Because I think it's a very important one. Yeah, I, I really do think so. And I, I will say, I kind of said I was unprepared. A colleague of mine who finished her PhD maybe eight months ahead of me did warn me that I needed to think about the postdoc and did say it could be quite, the post-PhD rather, could be quite a challenging time, which I completely ignored and thought, what is she talking about? I can't wait mm -hmm. to be finished. So it just goes to show that her good advice uh, shouldn't have fallen on such deaf ears. So hopefully uh, I can provide that similar warning for the next people. Um, I, I think, you know, what you say is about both finding the right position for you and also kind of exploring and trying on different things post-PhD is really, really important. And um, you might have an idea going forth what might be the best position for you, but you don't really know until you've tried a few things. The thing about a PhD is it's quite a cloistered sort of a life. Mm -hmm. You're usually in one or two places. You know, you, you're not traveling wild, widely, typically. You're typically mixing with people who are quite similar to you in that you are focused probably on similar research areas. Your lifestyles become quite similar. Like most PhD lifestyles, they're very, very focused. I think it must be a mm -hmm. bit like, you know, being an ancient monk or something, you know, where you're cloistered in, you're focused really, really intensely and becoming very expert. But the thing about becoming very expert is sometimes you become a bit blind or, or a bit myopic to things outside that immediate focus. Mm -hmm. So I do think you're quite right in saying sometimes you need to try a few things on and really broaden your horizons. And when we say post-PhD, often that's a postdoctoral role, yeah. but it could be something else. It could be going into industry. It could be going into time of teaching. It could be taking a break and, and doing something completely different for a while. Mm. It looks all sorts of different ways for different people. So I think, you know, when we say postdoc in this discussion, it might be, better if we think about just post PhD, you mm -hmm. know, um, it's not necessarily going into an academic role. When it comes to applying fieldwork skills to that post PhD uh, time, most people will probably say, you know, the skills and disciplines of, of resilience, of resourcefulness, of, you know, um, having a good attitude, a going forth sort of an attitude are really important and they're mm -hmm. skills that you learn in fieldwork. And I agree, that's correct. But going back to fieldwork ready, that al alone is not enough. You can have a great attitude and no sort of plan or no sort of structure. And, mm -hmm. you know, your great attitude alone, while commendable, won't get you where you need to go. Most, mm -hmm. most people, myself included, need some sort of framework to help them progress. So, when it comes to fieldwork, when I'm getting a student ready or getting myself ready to go out on a fieldwork expedition or a fieldwork experiment, there's lots of things I tell them, there's lots of things I think about, but we can really break it down into three. It's your tools, your team, and your time. Mm, and I, I figure it. if you can manage those three elements, you're going to be successful in the field. And I also think if you can manage those three elements in relation to your post-PhD life, you'll be successful in either finding the appropriate postdoc or finding the industry role, finding where you want to go mm -hmm. thereafter. So I think maybe we can drill down into each of those three uh, key elements a little bit, but I do think that they're the keys to success. Sure. Uh, tools, team, and time. I, I find it really interesting. And 
especially interesting the the team aspect because like you said and i it's funny i i just mentioned in a conversation not long ago like the 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 analogy to monks you know to to being a monk <laughs> and this kind of one track mind thing yeah. um but uh i in in another series of of uh, podcasts uh, the the phd dojo that i that i'm doing I did one about what I call the PhD village and and how I think the PhD should not be a solitary a solitary endeavor. There's a solitary you. part to it, you know, it's your work, it's your thesis, but you would you would gain by having a village around you and and I, and I talked about mentors and I talked about uh you know peers with whom you do other activities, but I I'd like to have maybe let's let's drill down on the team aspect because it's not intuitive, you know, what team can i build you know around my phd and around my career transition i'd really love to hear to hear what what you have to say more in detail about that yeah great well when we think about the team in your phd only your name is on your phd thesis only my name is on the front of mine uh, susan well is it a team effort and i'd say certainly it is there is the phd student who is is the central player in this but there are a lot of people in supporting and collaborative roles. So you're going to have your PhD advisors or supervisors, depending on what you call them. There, I suppose, your left and your right hand, they're the people mm -hmm. who are right there with you. You're going to have any technical staff who help you either in the lab or in the field. You're going to have people who are simply around you, the other PhDs in your research center or in your university. They might not help you directly in the PhD, although a lot of the time they do, certainly in my PhD, I helped friends of mine and some friends of mine truly saved me from mm. really, really challenging work by myself. They're all part of your team who contribute to the overall goal. Mm -hmm. Your wider team are your friends, your family, all of those influence how successful you will be. And they also influence the decisions you might make. So they're really important. Sometimes we don't think about those. We think about the people in the lab, but really your team is everyone around you mm -hmm. who you, who, who influence you and who are influenced by you. You know, it's kind of symbiotic. Yeah. And um, the other important people in, in PhD who are on your PhD team, they might only be there for a day or two, but are external uh Ex external agents, so people who you might hire in for a particular piece of work, people mm -hmm. who might uh, advise you on a particular issue, people who you can reach out to. You know, they might not be there for the day to day, but they do have crucial roles within the overall PhD. Mm -hmm. So when we think about the post PhD, I kind of broke it down into, well, who might be involved in shaping my next move now that I know I'm finishing up? Who do I need to talk to or who do I need to consider in relation to what happens next? Mm -hmm. So in no particular order, I would say the first thing is think about your contacts. If you're a PhD student, you've probably gone to conferences. You've met people who you might like to work with in the future or who you might find who are really inspiring. And you say, mm -hmm. well, I'd like to wind up doing something a little bit like what they do. In research, I found you can reach out to people. I've never reached out to someone and had a rude response mm -hmm. or a rebuff. <laughs> Most people are quite flattered to be reached out to, even if they're busy. So I would say do so respectfully, of course, of, of everybody's time. But you can reach out to people for advice, to ask if there are jobs available, to say, here are your skills and your interests, and here's where you're interested in going. So 
that's really important. I would say if you're a PhD student, and particularly going to conferences or if you're a member of professional society, I'm a member of the Soil Science Society of, of America, but they're, they're kind of the biggest soil science society and, and mm -hmm. have a huge uh, impact. And I, I found the people I met through that had a huge influence and were hugely supportive of me in providing advice and opportunities and recommendations. So what I would say is if you're a PhD student, if you're going to conferences, if you're meeting people, keep track of names, keep track of emails, and keep in mind, are these people I might like to work for or work with in the future? Mm -hmm. um, the other thing you need to think about are who are going to be your referees, because whether you go for yeah. a postdoctoral mm -hmm. role or an industry role, you're going to need people who can write a recommendation for you. And of course. really, you don't want someone who's going to do you know, a lazy job and say, I knew David, he was grand at his job. I knew Sarah, <laughs> she was a PhD here. Thank you, goodbye. You'd like someone who knows a little bit about your character, about your skills, about your abilities, and who can vouch for you and provide an honest and an accurate uh, reflection of your work. It also is helpful if they're an individual who they don't have to be famous, they don't have to have any particular ranking, but if they're someone who would be in a position to know. In other words, if they're your PhD supervisor or advisor, you would assume that a reference from them is fairly sound. So that's mm -hmm. something to consider as well. Basically, what I'm saying is you don't want your mum to write your reference or someone who's <laughs> obviously biased or obviously close to you because okay. yeah. that uh, obviously is a little bit weaker. So That won't fly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it won't fly. So it's worth thinking about your referees. Mm -hmm. The other thing you might think about is when you're trying to figure out, when you're trying to go for jobs, whether they're postdoctoral roles or whether they're industry roles, interview coaching uh, is really worthwhile. Um, and I know a few people, I've done it informally or I've done, gone to workshops and things. And then I know friends of mine who have gone and hired professional interview coaches you're going to be sitting a lot of interviews. You're probably mm. going to be sitting interviews until you're sick of sitting interviews. I know I was. It's uh, going to be a job in itself for a while. It's a job in itself and it's really time consuming. And that's something that you're going to have to schedule into. We can talk about time when we get there. But yeah, it, it's a huge demand. And you'll get better at interviews the more you sit, no doubt. Mm -hmm. But there are people who make it their whole business training people to be really, really expert in interview. And if you don't want to do you know, a hundred interviews trying to get good at it, it's really worthwhile leaning on that external expertise and getting some advice and guidance on that. That's a great point. Uh, before I let you I'll let you move on, this is a great point. Uh, one of the one of the things uh, that, that maybe I want to, to touch upon, although I know that not, not everyone has experience or or the same experience with it is is mentoring because part of this training into uh to this training for um doing interviews if you in these contexts somehow there's something that clicks and some one of these persons you admire in your field becomes a mentor they you know that interaction with this mentor can be also helpful for you in preparing totally. for those conversations and then there's another uh there's another uh method or or strategy that that's I hear a lot about here in Canada. Uh, I've I've talked with people in France, and it's not as well known or popular there, which is informational interviews. I don't know if you if it's something. No, I haven't come no. across that. 
So the idea is, and again, you can it can be either through ResearchGate if you're if you're trying to talk with with researchers, but it can be on LinkedIn if you're trying to talk with people in industry. Is just reaching out to people on these platforms where they are, you know, they have a profile, so they're kind of, they like you said, no one, no one at, at, in my case at least has said uh, said no, and if they say no, usually it's because they're too busy. Yeah. But on these platforms, they're there to to share and to to talk with someone who has the same profile as you. And and say, oh, I really like your um, your journey. I'm really curious at how you got to this position. Uh, I I'd, I'd really like to know whether you needed some training or how you know. So can can, you, can we have 15, 20 minutes to chat about that? And now we're we're back to to in person, so you can even go have coffee with these people. But one yeah. of the ways to prepare, apart from the technical aspect of interviewing, but for the meat of what you're going to say in the interview for this specific position, is having these conversations beforehand with people who are in these institutions who are in these uh, labs or who are in these companies yeah that's I, really really helpful um yeah it's, it's really helpful and i think that what you say is really interesting it's it's so helpful to get to talk to someone informally because interviews they're so rigid like they do for, follow a rubric and they have very strict criteria normally and it doesn't always give you the the most accurate reflection of what that company or what that university is really like, mm-hmm. which can be really valuable because you might think you're getting into one thing and it could be quite something else, mm-hmm. you know? So I, I think that's really commendable. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. So, so th- that's a point I, I wanted to add now about mentorship. Uh, have you had experience with external mentors during your yeah, your I mean journey? Uh, Totally. There's definitely people. And I would say, again, through the SSSA, the Soil Science Society of America, there have definitely been individuals who have kind of stepped in and out of my life, but provided a lot of guidance at key mm-hmm. moments. And there's definitely a, probably a handful of people who I would email. I might not talk to them very regularly, but at crucial turning points would have dropped an email and said, what do you think about this? Or mm-hmm. can you give me some advice? And that's really, really been crucial. And you'll find most professional societies, and I really recommend students to become a member of their professional society during their PhD. A lot of students don't, but everyone I know who's done it has found it to be really, really beneficial. A lot of those will have mentorship programs set up where they will either match you with someone or help you to find a kind of a natural match. And I think having a mentor, they can do something that the interview coaches can't which is they know you personally to a degree and they can give you advice that is personal to you. They can understand your character and your motivations and and Mm -hmm. your goals uh, and probably give you some guidance. And I think your relationship with your mentor, or or if you're the mentor either, it works both ways, has to be one that's quite trusting because Mm -hmm. they have to be able to tell you things that you might not like or that you might not particularly want to hear or tell you no you're wrong or that's mm-hmm. not a good fit or do you know something you think you're doing well at that interview but actually you're coming across a little arrogant or a little you know uncertain and they can really provide you that that real honesty if you have the sort of a mutual trust that's, that's really mm-hmm. really valuable you know so I, I definitely think mentorship is uh, if you can find a good fit is absolutely uh, a huge benefit. I just uh, I'm going to let you go on with with what you, you know the the people the, the team but I want to sure. just for the people watching or listening it's a great point that I that I, I hadn't I don't think it has been covered yet of the professional societies 
and there the from what i hear their mandate to the members is to help them in their professional career so uh, because i, I w- what i've had what i've heard in other conversations is the question of getting a mentor during a phd is a question of luck mm. and here you kind of you kind of skewing the luck your way by getting yeah. into into in society so i think it's a great great point I, I think, you know, and I, I've been a member of a few societies throughout my career, but the SSSA has been the one consistent throughout. But I, I find that most people I speak to say the same thing about their own mm-hmm. association once they find a good fit, that it really, as you say, it's there to support the individual because it's made up of the individual. So you all have this commonality and you'll find that typically it, it attracts people of a similar mindset or of similar mm-hmm. goals. and quite aside from being able to provide mentorship, when you go for an interview and you're able to say, I'm a member of such and such society, people are able to connect with that and they Mm -hmm. know a little bit about what you might be interested in or what you might be able to do or what your background is. It does provide a helpful touchstone. And I think that's quite valuable. There's an awful lot of research institutes now and there's an awful lot of universities and colleges and research centers and all of that is great. Mm-hmm. But this is a big world, and I don't necessarily know someone in, you know, universities in different parts of America or in different parts of Europe or anywhere else in the world. But if I know that we have this commonality of the society, we can mm-hmm. kind of skip forward a little bit in our relationship yeah. and kind of get down <laughs> to the discussion and have a little bit of a commonality. I mean, make commonalities are crucial in conversation, aren't they? Oh, You're yeah. always trying to make some sort of a connection with someone. The society's help. Yeah, by the way, commonality, like I was talking about informational interviews. And if you, you know, already people are on LinkedIn to share. But if you go and and um, and you want to talk with someone who is an alumni of the university you're in, or even in the, you know, from the the program you're from, the chance they're going to be extra happy to, to talk with you is going to yeah. be tenfold. And uh, yeah, yeah, commonality, very important. Yeah, absolutely. I, I really do think so. <laughs> so we're, we're still talking about the team. Yeah, so the last person I had in mind on the external assistance of your team is additional training. So you come out of your PhD Mm. or you come towards the end of the PhD, you're an expert in laboratory analysis or in Mm -hmm. field analysis (laughs) or in nitrates or in microbiome or whatever else. You're an expert, which is narrow. And it's to be commended, but, you know, you also might need additional skills. So you might be lacking some skills which might impede you for going for certain jobs. Mm-hmm. I'll give you a great example, driving. Not all jobs require you to have a driving license, but if you're in my field, which is soil science and environmental research, and you're doing field work, you need to have a driver's license, which means mm. you might need to go and get external assistance from a driving instructor. Or you might say, well, actually, you know, I'm really, really good at soils analysis, but the jobs that I have in mind in the future actually require me to be able to use GIS to be able to do mapping. And I don't have mapping skills. So you might need to do kind of a, you know, an assessment of your profile and Mm -hmm. identify what skills you are missing and go get that extra training. I know it seems like a burden if you're writing up, but... Mm -hmm this is part of the next step. So that's your other external assistance. And then the last part of your team 
but maybe the most important part of your team are your family and your friends, your loved ones, who it is in your outside of the lab or outside of the office life who are going to influence your decisions. Mm-hmm. Are you going to be taking people with you wherever you go? Are you going to be leaving people? Are, is there family dynamics that might be at play there? Um, I can't speak to anyone's personal life. I can't give any recommendations there only to say is you need to think about the other people who might be influenced by your decisions. And you also need to talk to them because they probably know you best and Mm. might be able to give you some advice and say, do you know something? This sounds like a good fit for you, or I think that this would be good for you, or this might be bad for you and something to avoid. Talk to those people too. Often, again, with the, you know, narrow field of vision and it's getting narrower as you're getting closer Mm -hmm. to your submission date you're thinking more and more narrowly every day and it's really important to talk to those outside people because they can give you a little bit of perspective uh, that might otherwise be lacking Mm -hmm. yeah whenever you know you're you're talking about the 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 tunnel vision getting narrower and narrower and uh, it's always makes me think uh, i don't know if you've if you've read or or watched uh, Lord of the Rings. Yes, of course. Of Frodo and the the Mountain of Doom, and then how how am I missing the name of of his friend? Sam. Sam, of course, Samwise, and uh, and you know he's 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 the that person for him until the last minute where he drops the ring in there, and but it can you know at the end when you're like writing and you need to finish and there's corrections, it's kind of like that, yeah. and it's true that you don't want to go it alone completely because it's really hard. On, it can be really hard on 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 you. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's, I find it really interesting that you uh, that you include this aspect, David. It's I just want to say it's so funny that you should use that comparison because I think you know, the, and it's going to show how truly nerdy I am. It <laughs> it runs deep, you know, the bit where Sam says I can't carry it, but I can mm-hmm. carry you, and it's a lot yeah. like that. These people are your, whether your family <laughs> yeah. or your friends, your loved ones. They're the people carrying you towards the end. You mightn't realize it. Yeah, it's that yeah, that moment where the, you're you start tearing up. Yeah, I'll try <laughs> oh, and hold my it gosh. in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, no, I, I totally understand. It is. No, it's it's super uh, it's super interesting and uh, anyway, it's not the first time I use uh, Lord of the Rings as as a metaphor for the the PhD journey, but um but I think that if if you do have a, a team, you know, a fellowship <laughs> behind you <laughs> that's that's uh, that's helping you even unbeknownst to you um it, it can help you uh have have a, a smoother journey. Now, because we talked you talked about logistics, you talked about strategy uh, in the the very beginning, I think the next step I'd like to to talk about based on what you said, you know, okay, let, okay, it's in, it's important to build a team. But building a team requires time, and yes. you can't build a team just in the last six months of your or, or eight months. Like if you had listened to your colleague, you you would have had eight months to build a team, which would have been better than probably what happened. Yeah, I've had these conversations with very young PhD candidates, like first year, and there's mm-hmm. when when you start talking to them about preparing for a multiverse of possibilities versus just being a professor. They, they kind of glaze over and it, there's kind yeah. of a cognitive dissonance and I haven't found a way and I'm looking very hard uh, for a way to have this conversation and and have them say, okay, you know what? I'm going to start today doing a little bit of something each week or each month towards that objective, but I haven't found yeah. it yet. Yeah, I, I think certainly in field work, 
time, I think, is the most challenging aspect for most people, you know, because you're, you have your long-term planning. So say, how am I going to do my field trials uh, over the course of these three or four years? Mm-hmm. And you have your immediate time management. How do I manage to get to the site on a given day, take my measurements, set up my equipment, preserve the samples, get back to the lab before they start to degrade? There's really tight time logistics there nested within this much longer time scale and it can be quite a you know challenging psychologically to get your 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 brain around that mm-hmm. what i would say is when it comes to your your post phd role i would start with your long term plan so don't think about initially where you want to be you know in the first year post phd because you might have to try a few things on and you might have to go through a few different contracts and a few different roles but think about where you do want to be in say five or ten years time do you Mm -hmm. want to be a research officer running different projects do you see yourself in a lecturing role do you see yourself going into industry or into private business you know you want to have what is the picture of yourself you want a far way out because if you know where you're going then you can fill in the steps to get there but if you have no real long-term objective There can be an awful lot of wandering around, Mm -hmm. which is fine. And there's lots of good things about that. It's quite exciting. You learn a lot. You make a lot of friends, things like that. It can also be quite daunting and and, and maybe you can wind up somewhere you don't necessarily want to be. So I think having a sort of a long-term picture is helpful. It's not set in stone. It might Mm -hmm. change along the way. You might encounter something or somewhere, someone that you just love and you're saying, well, this is where I want to be and what I want to do. but You've got to start with a little bit of a plan, you know. So I think having a long-term plan is the first thing to consider. The next thing I would say, and and this doesn't really apply to industry so much, but it definitely, if you go to further research, postdoctoral research, contract lengths are something that you need to think about. I can't speak for all industries, but certainly in agricultural, environmental science, for both of those PH or postdoc contracts are typically short. You're looking mm-hmm. between one and three years. And you're going to have to bear this in mind that you might take you one or two or three cycles of postdoctoral roles. You might be totally fine with this. You might not. That It might mean that you're moving every couple of years if you've got a family or if you've got a property or if you've got something that's keeping you in one place, mm-hmm. uh, potentially. That's something you're going to have to have a discussion around. I'm not saying this, there's no right or wrong here. It's going to be a personal fit and a fit for you and your team. Uh, but I would say that it's something to be aware. If you're going for further research, the length of postdoctoral contracts are, are frequently an issue in my experience. Mm-hmm. So it's just something to think about. Mm-hmm. I do think that, yes, trying to plan something ahead, even let's say you plan being a professor. That's the, if that's the only thing you can imagine for yourself that, that first year. There's things you can do, and some of them you've mentioned already, uh, setting up a team, starting to, um, to, uh, to, to think, okay, who, I, who could I uh, network with? But I, at the same time, you just arrived in a PhD, you're probably you know, wide-eyed and, and taking it all in and, and not ready to do that yet. And, uh, and I wonder what tools you have in mind to, to help you in that difficult work of imagining uh, something that's five years away, three years away, depending. I, I know uh, in Europe often it's three years. Yeah. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. it's 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 tricky. I suppose the picture you have of yourself in the future is going to be so specific to the individual. Um, and one of the great things about a PhD is it does give you a little bit of time mm-hmm. to kind of figure that out. And I would say is maybe this takes us full circle to the mentorship again. Mm-hmm. Maybe you might say, I'd love to be a research officer. Have you ever talked to a research officer? What do they like about their job? What do they not like about their job? Mm-hmm. What does their job actually involve versus what you think it involves? Because often they mm-hmm. don't really match up. Similarly with industry, you know, I always think it's really good when universities or colleges have career days for their yes. undergrads and they'll bring in, you know, other universities looking for postdocs or looking for PhD students rather. They'll bring in people from private industry, people from government roles, mm-hmm. and they'll all have their stands and they'll say, well, here's what our jobs we have and what they involve and what they pay and where you'll go. And yeah. In my experience, we don't do that for PhD students. You know, we don't really give them that same guidance. Yeah. And maybe we need to. Maybe that's something that would be very helpful. And it's important to say, well, you know, research has a lot of opportunities and here they are. And maybe mm-hmm. we also need to invite industry and in, because industry yeah. wants PhD students too or PhD graduates too. Um, and a lot of my colleagues have gone into industry and been very, very happy and successful in it. Um, but when you're doing research, sometimes all you talk about is research. Yeah. So I think, you know, giving people access to people in industries and in different roles to talk in an informal way is very important. And, you know, your advisor is a really important person in your research life, but they are the people who are supervising or advising you day to day. And mm-hmm. relationships are always different, but you may or may not want to have that conversation with them because you might be, you know, embarrassed uh, or you might feel anxious about you know looking good or looking bad in front mm. of them um you might want not want them to think your focus is elsewhere so yeah, i think yeah, having definitely. a mentor or being able to approach someone who's got really no vested interest in you can actually be a great resource mm-hmm. i agree and uh and sadly we're getting really to the end of the interview but uh sure. one, one really great point that you mentioned is this this need for for us to build bridges between the industry, well, not even government. There's government jobs, yeah, right? Oh, totally. But but to to build platforms of conversation where the the research community and these other communities learn to know each other. Because I think one yeah. of the challenges we have is that yeah, industry wants PhDs, but when you ask them, do they know what a PhD is? They because a PhD can be so many different things in the from depending on where they come from, what they studied, and yeah. uh, and I think um, and I think I see it happening. Uh, more the need to, so platforms need to be built, and I would say by universities, but um, and by by PhD programs to create these platforms of conversation, these spaces of conversation, and these spaces of getting to know each other. Yeah. Industry to know PhDs and PhDs to know industry. Of course, if you can do a, an internship during a PhD, wow, that's that's yeah, the helpful. best case scenario. Totally, but totally but agree. I think there's a wide there needs to be a wider opening up of of the two compartments to each other and to becoming friends and to <laughs> to co cohabitate yeah, uh, this space I, I, this I economic space. Agree. Yeah. And you know, I think I think the universities and colleges do a very good job in industry and government jobs as relates to their undergrad where I saw it in a positive way when I was a PhD student is my my society the SSSA they mm-hmm. did invite industry people to come to our events okay. uh, our annual meetings but if you don't make the annual meeting or if you're an international you student and you might miss out on that but I do think 
I think the frameworks are there, both in the societies and in the universities, to further make post PhD um, post PhD pathways uh, a little bit more illuminated mm-hmm. in terms of outside jobs. I do think the frameworks are there, and maybe mm-hmm. we just need to build on them. Maybe they just haven't been fully tapped into yet. Yeah, I think it's happening, but it's not a, it's not a quick process, and and because it's it's also it's not a a, a homogeneous problem problem, right? And, uh, totally. Yeah. And, you know, it goes both ways. You know, c- coming out of the PhD, I had a really good idea of what was involved in research. I'd, I'd had a really good exposure to to research and I kind of knew what was ahead of me. Um, but I did look at industry jobs, too. And to okay. be quite frank, I really didn't know what was involved in any of them. You know, mm. I, I knew an awful lot about re or I thought I knew an awful lot about research. Now I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I knew very little about industry. And I do think I could have been more judicious and probably more successful in industry mm-hmm. jobs if I'd chosen to go down that pathway, if I'd known a little bit more about them when I was coming out, when I was graduating. Mm. Well, Sarah, uh, I'm super, uh, super happy that you, that you shared all of, of this knowledge. I don't think we covered everything, uh, but for those who are listening on the podcast, can you share where is the best place, the best platform to find you? Maybe your Twitter handle also? Yes. So I have a website. It's fieldwork-ready.com because fieldworkready.com without a hyphen was taken. Uh, <laughs> you can find me at Twitter at, at fieldworkready or you can email me at uh, fieldworkready at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Um, I do run ongoing online workshops and in-person workshops as well, but usually Perfect. online is pretty good for uh, international people because I, I have people at any workshop I've people from Ireland, people from Switzerland. Um, I had someone from Israel recently, oh, wow. um, all over America. So it's nice to, the online thing is, has some advantages in that you can get a really broad cross-section of people mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. coming together. So the next event will be on the 22nd of June. So if people Perfect. go to my website or go to my Twitter, all the details about that will be there. Of, of course, it's fieldwork focused, but I do think there's there's going to be other events later on that are maybe a little similar to this discussion, have a bit of a more broader application. Excellent. Well, I'm sure that some of the listeners of the show are postdocs, are PhDs, and will will gain from uh, joining you on your on your training. Thanks for sharing the dates. I was going to ask you. What I'll do is I'll share uh, those links in the notes page of the episode. Thank you. Sarah, thank you so much. It was really, really great having this more, uh, more academia-focused point of view, even though things were applicable to, to non-academic job, you know, professional journeys um thanks for for your time thanks for having been on papa phd i think this is going to help uh, a lot of people potentially and uh, and uh, i'm i'm uh, i commend you for the work you do and uh, and and uh, i really enjoyed uh, spending this almost hour chatting with you about this thank you so much thank you david it was a real pleasure i really enjoyed that thanks for listening to another episode of the papa phd podcast Head over to papaphd.com for show notes and for more food for thought about non-academic postgrad careers. I'll always be happy to share inspiring stories, new ideas, and useful resources here on the podcast. So make sure you subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts to always keep up with the discussion and to hear from our latest guests. Music